Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. you've followed me or my career since the 1980s, you know that the only reason I care that I have a platform is that it allows me to work to make the world a better place. And that's why I am so excited about this episode. We've invited four of my favorite influencers from TikTok who are using their platforms in exciting new ways. In this episode, you'll hear familiar voices talking about how and why They use those voices for change in 2023 and beyond. Now, TikTok, stay with me, because this is going to be an interesting ride. Hey, fuckers, I don't know who needs to hear this reminder, but post whatever the fuck you want to post. Are you worried about hate comments? Don't be. The tea is piping hot. And I got a question. Are the girls with the name Amber okay? Because y'all been taking L's. If you don't know who this is, this is Amber Mesner, and it came out that she was involved in some bullying back in middle school. I understand that we don't want to play werewolves and vampires anymore. That's okay. Hi. A narcissist will always want to play the victim. The way to avoid this drama, this histrionics, is to avoid narcissists. First, we're speaking with Ashley on TikTok as Ashley Nock. Ashley's two million followers are lucky enough to see her collecting and sharing secrets people send her on TikTok and Instagram, offering interesting insights into what it means to be human. But she doesn't stop there. Ashley is a committed fighter for reproductive freedom from deep inside a very red state. Hey fuckers, I just wanted to let everybody know that yes, I am entering my villain era. No, I will not be taking questions at this time. And yes, I am booked and busy, being a badass bitch. Hey fuckers, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but guess what? You can be whatever the fuck you want to be. If you want to be a whore, be a whore. If you want to be a CEO, be a CEO. If you want to be a furry, be a fucking furry. Hey fuckers, I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but you don't owe anybody shit. Nobody. Hi, it's Ashley, and I share people's secrets online. Sorry, not sorry. Hey, fucker. You are my new favorite person. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, kind of an elevator pitch. I am, I work for a food company, work for a snack company. I've been in the industry for about 12 years now. And so when the pandemic hit, I decided to look into TikTok. I realized quickly that everybody else on TikTok was just as fucked up as I was. And it was this safe place for me to be myself because I do feel like a lot of social media is very curated and not real. And TikTok was this breath of fresh air. I started making videos on my own. And here I am. I'm still working for the company that I was working for a couple of years ago. And I do social media as a creative outlet and to build a community. So it's been a wild ride. Tell everybody about your weekly secrets. 
Oh, yeah. So on Instagram, really the only reason that I have Instagram, to be honest, we all grew up with Post Secrets. I loved Post Secrets. I thought that it was such a interesting way to bring people together, not feel so alone, get those confessions out into the world. Because once you say something, it immediately is less scary or less taboo or that emotion tied to it just immediately goes away, which is amazing. And I think we need more of that. And so about a year ago or so, I had too many mimosas at brunch, actually, and thought, hey, I want to hear people's secrets. So I asked my followers on Instagram, said, tell me your secrets. I'll post them anonymously. And that's how it began. I do them weekly. Usually they land on Thursdays. And I started out getting 40 to 50 submissions or so. And now it's in the thousands every week of people pouring out their souls. So how do you choose? I try to do a range of secrets, you know, because there's just such a wide variety from really spicy, sexual, inappropriate secrets to like mom guilt and struggling with being super mom, those kind of secrets. I've had people submit secrets that they've committed crimes before, like bad ones. I don't repost those because I don't want to be tied to it in any sort of way. And I try to pick a range so that it's not every single one is, oh, I had an affair. I had an affair. I had an affair. It's that mixed with some that are like, oh, I shit my pants this morning on the way to drop off for my kids because my entire family has a stomach virus. But yeah, so a wide variety. I try to keep it interesting. And there are so many to choose from. I probably post 40 to 50 in a night. I try to keep it till two hours and then it's just it for next week. Yeah, it's been crazy. I think what I'm most interested in is what you have learned about people from not only the secrets that they've sent in, but also what have you learned about humanity in the comments section of the secrets? That's a great question because I think the reason that I, I think the biggest reason I continue to do them is to that point exactly about humanity and what I've learned in the process. And that is, I think it's very easy, especially now, to be very cynical and to lose hope in humanity and to just say, oh, people are bad people and you can't trust them. Hey, fuckers, if you're new here, I do this cool little thing on Instagram where once a week I ask people to tell me their secrets. And the ones that I don't end up posting on there, sometimes I share with all of you here on TikTok. So crisscross applesauce, fuckers, it's secret time. Not embarrassed of my small flashworm. Okay. And I love that for you. I put the S-E-M-E-N in amusement park. And that's why I'm banned from Six Flags. I feel like I need more there to that story. I'm in a love triangle with a man and his cousin. And I'm married. Wow. You got your hands full. I've had a couple different instances. One where a gentleman confessed that he was really struggling mentally and had made a plan to end his life. And he was very involved in his kid's school and he was the coach and involved in church and the list goes on and on. And he had no one to talk to about it. And I reposted that obviously with different resources and references. And I was blown away at how hundreds and hundreds of messages of DMs came pouring in of people that shared their personal experiences or the fact that they had lost someone. And 
I took a screenshot of every single one that came through and I messaged him personally and sent him. It was like 200, over 200 that I sent him. And uh, he still messages me weekly saying that saved his life. And it made him feel like he wasn't alone. I get goosebumps when I talk about it because he had no one that he felt safe to go to talk about these things. And sometimes it's better to tell a stranger, right? Something that you're struggling with. You almost feel safer doing that than opening up to somebody that has all of these opinions or knows you personally. And that made such an impact on his life. Or a couple of weeks ago, I had a woman that said that she submitted a secret and said that she had not been taking care of herself and not been eating meals for the past few months because she only had enough money to feed her kids. And I reposted that for some reason. It just felt very genuine. And I had, again, hundreds of people say, who is this? Can we have her Venmo? And I shared her Venmo and she had messaged me saying that she had $5,000 in her Venmo account. And she sent me a video. She was like sobbing. She had her kids in the video. And she was like, this is going to feed my family for the year. Like, you don't know what this did for our family. And it's just such a reminder that one, you're not alone. Everybody at any given time is struggling in their own way. And that humans are more than capable of coming together and that there still is a lot of good in the world. And I think that's the main reason that I continue to do it week after week. And some of them are just really funny and highly inappropriate. And I love that side of it as well. But the sort of the heartwarming ones are the ones that I think people keep coming back for. I think people innately want to help but don't know how to do it. So you are giving this bridge to that empathy. And I think that is really beautiful, but also it has a huge responsibility attached to it. One of the things that I love about your channel so much is that you really just, there's this deep, genuine, and hilarious (laughs) friendship and friendships that you have with other women. So tell us why you think that it's so important for women to support each other. I'm a big advocate of women supporting women. And I think we are constantly, there's, we grew up with this notion that we have to tear one another down or be jealous of one another. And I think that maybe that comes with age or wisdom or experience, but the more that you lift up those around you, especially women, that is when you make the change. That is where you see the growth and we're better all together than we are separate. And I truly love the female friendships that I have and I want them to succeed. And I want to see every woman succeed. I think that it's amazing. And I think that there's room for everybody to succeed. It's not a competition. I think that the more that we can encourage other women to support one another, that's really going to make the difference in five years and 10 years. We're already seeing that coming together. We just saw that in the midterms. That was a very powerful reminder that our voices are important. And when we come together as a collective unit, that's when change can happen. I have a theory about why we are made to feel like we are in competition. And that theory is, I think it was more productive to keep us isolated from each other because the patriarchy just functions much better if we're not a collective voice. Because if we're not a collective voice, and we're made to feel like there's only 
I don't know, like one corner office and there's only one of us that can succeed, then we can't. We can't sit around the water cooler and talk about how we were sexually harassed or that there was sexual misconduct. So I think it behooves men to keep us in that mentality where we think that we're in competition with each other. Also, women are really powerful. The village of incredible mom friends that I have, and I'm sure the same is with you. That is why we were made to feel like we couldn't have each other's backs. And you live in a red state and one where abortion is almost entirely banned. And you've been pretty vocal on your opinion of abortion. If you're comfortable, I'd love to hear why that means so much to you. I don't know if it's fortunately that I live in a red state. I'm constantly reminded of that here, just driving around. We already have the Trump 2024 flags on pickup trucks where I live, which is frightening in its own respect. But I think what makes a difference um, being in a red state, there are so many women, especially here, that I've had conversations with that don't believe that their vote matters or that they don't believe that their opinion politically makes a difference because it's a red state. So, of course, I can go and stand in line to vote, but what does it matter? And coming back to your point just a second ago, I think that that is also a lie that we have been told because the more that we feel like our voice doesn't matter, that our opinions do not matter, as women specifically, the more that we are not going to be in these positions of power and control. And I think that this is particularly an issue that every woman or anyone uterus bearing that has an opinion on it, I think they need to be vocal about it. They need to use their voice and they need to use their power in voting and researching and knowing what is going on, regardless of if they're in a red state or a blue state. We saw many states that turned because of Roe v. Wade. And I think that it is extremely important for women, especially white women, to be talking to other white women about these issues. This is not a time to be like, oh, we can agree to disagree or, oh, I don't want to bring up politics because that's not proper a proper thing to do. This is not the fucking time to be nice or kind about it. We need to be having these discussions. And you have a lot of followers who are men. What do you say to the men who follow you about why they should, you know, care about what's going on and bodily autonomy for women? Because it's not just a woman's issue, right? It affects everybody. If men are thinking that it's not going to affect them, then they're idiots. I don't know what to tell them. That's what it comes down to. That's their responsibility. And it's no different than when you have issues of the hashtag, not all men or whatever. It is all men because all men have a responsibility to speak up about women's issues. And we can't do it alone. So it is in their best interest and their responsibility to have these discussions with their friends, with their male friends. I think that the more that they start speaking up about these issues just benefits everybody in the long run. Where can my listeners find you on socials? Uh, so I'm going to spell it because technically I don't know how to pronounce my username, which is, again, I did not plan on like having a platform in making daily videos on social media. So I'm going to spell it because that's the easiest way to do it. It's at A-S-H-L-E-L-N-O-K. And that is for Instagram and TikTok. I don't know how to use YouTube. 
I can only do like two things. And so that's what I'm going to stick to for the time being. Twitter's a dumpster fire, so you're not missing anything over there. I've seen that. Yes, unfold. What gives you hope for 2023? Oh, man. That is a great question. I have hope that the more, and coming back to the whole conversation piece, I think the more that we are comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with people about politics, about issues that are happening, I think that will change minds. And maybe it is a conversation where somebody who has been long in this particular mindset You never know when you're going to say something in just a random conversation with someone that makes them go, aha, that makes sense. And now my whole perspective has shifted. Let's talk more about that. I think the more that we can have conversations with maybe people that previously we haven't been comfortable having those conversations with, that gives me hope. I know that really just in the past two years, which past few years have been, to your point, a dumpster fire. But there's also been a lot of good that has come out of it as well, just as far as education. So I think with social media, it can be very negative. And there's a lot of things wrong with it, in my opinion. But the education piece and just being more aware of issues direct from the source and not something that's been curated to make us more comfortable, I think gives me hope for actual change in the future. Well, Ashley, you give me hope. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate being here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for all you do. Bye, fuckers. I love you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our next guest is Aunt Karen. Aunt Karen uses her platform of 1.7 million TikTok followers to find, identify, and hold racists accountable, changing the real world from her digital platform. It's 11.58 p.m. and we still have time for races of the day. Oh my God, she's a black woman that can do that. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, there's a black woman out here that I don't like making videos about TikTokers whose only claim to fame is clout chasing. Today's racist of the day, in my opinion, is believed to be a college student at the University of Kentucky. Now there is some censored language, so TikTok, please don't take this video down. I'm Denise Bradley, also known as Aunt Karen on TikTok, and I expose racism by being a Karen. So sorry, not sorry. 
and Karen. Welcome to Sorry Not Sorry. You're honestly like one of my favorites. I've been so impressed to see your work fighting racism in the physical world through the digital space. Is that how you would describe what you do? Absolutely. You know, it's it's a journey. It's been kind of a whirlwind, but tackling racism and doing it in a social media platform has really exposed me more to wanting to know what to do and how to fight racism. So yes, social media is my tool. I think it's amazing. You know what I'm always so interested in, and we're going to be interviewing a few social media influencers for this episode, but how do you figure out your niche? I would say it was more, it was more accidental. So I actually had a video go viral now two years ago, just during the election. So it was the day after the election. And I was driving around in my small little town. And I saw this kid. He's a neighborhood kid. I've seen him before. He's 16 years old. He was taking down a Biden-Harris sign. And I pull over and I go over to him and it was on private property. And I said, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm taking this down. And if you recall, we didn't have a winner at the time. So the day after the election, we were still figuring out every ballot, everything vote was getting counted. And just my interaction with him went viral. And I decided to post it to social media just simply because I wanted to see people to see what things were like right now in the high tension with Trump and all of that. And it went viral and people started commenting, telling me I was a Karen. I was a good Karen. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to own that because this is who I am. This is how I feel. So yeah, why not own it? I'm going to ask you a question that's going to seem ridiculously obvious, but I do think it's important for everyone to really hear this. Why is it so important to hold racists accountable? This world that we live in, I think people are blinded. I think a lot of times we move about in a way where it's like, if I don't see it, I don't hear it. It's not there. And I've always lived by the legend of what Emmett Till's mother did when she decided that she was going to show the world what happened to her son. And that in itself to me said, we have to hold people accountable. We have to show the world. And if we're going to invoke change, we have to put it in your face, everybody's face. So you can't look away. And that's what Emmett Till's mother did. Put it in their face so they can't look away. And you have to make a decision. You have to think above and what you should do and how to handle a situation like that. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the last, I don't know, let's say six years about a rise in racism since Trump and the Republican Party has decided that they're going to be the party of very old white men, that they have enabled races to actually not be uncomfortable with their racism. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that people are just more aware of it now? Or has it always been like this? Honestly, I think it's 100% true. I think Trump, to me, represents hate. Today's racist of the day, in my opinion, claims that he's going to get rid of all the black people. I'm sorry, the hood rats, as he claims. Hey, dude, and my friends, get the fuck out of here, bro. Is it it's my 7-Eleven. It's my 7-Eleven. That's right. I mean, I live right here, too. I yeah, make yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. He lives. You, you come out here. You do, and you were chasing that man yes, as dude. he was walking You're away. You're right. Get that on film. I'm chasing the hood rats off of my oh, block. Right. 7-Eleven. This is not your block. You don't live here. You don't even know the problem. 
This allegedly happened in Denver, Colorado. So I need you guys to share this, duet this, tag as many people as you can so we can identify who these guys are. He gave them a pass. He gave them an okay. And once you you give people an okay, it's like they always say, you, you give them an inch, they take a mile. And Trump was able to open this door that hadn't, that was silently hidden, right? There was instances. But I mean, the fact that there are people marching in the streets, like with the pitchfork, like it feels, you know, like when they had the tiki lanterns and stuff, I would never in my life think that I would see that in this day and age. So I think Trump has emboldened so many people that we have to say something now. Because of social media, hate groups have one platform to organize around, and they've found each other. Like, it used to be, you know, the neo-Nazis were one group, and the KKK was another. But now it's just, like, one umbrella group of hate that uses social media as a way to intimidate and also organize. And you've faced some real personal consequences as a result of your activism. What responsibles do you think platforms like TikTok and Twitter have in keeping their users safe? It's to give us a safe space. And, I, and it seems so weird to think that that's not happening. When you look at Twitter, you look at how it's gone to hell. You look at these things and you're just like, why can't we have something that's regulating hate? Hate speech, it should not be tolerated on any level. And I am so annoyed with always the argument, it's free speech, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? You're not free from consequences. So even if the rule is that we don't allow hate speech, ban the account immediately, you know what I'm saying? And make sure that these people can't get another account, whether it's an IP ban or something like that. I think I saw on Twitter when Elon took over, the N-word spiked up. And when he took over, that is alarming to me. That is crazy. But I've seen it on TikTok where I had somebody send me a live where this guy, he all he sat on TikTok the whole time and just said the N-word in a live video. And people were sending him gifts and he'll say the N-word as you send him like a gift or something on live. And I'm just like, it was going on for at least an hour before this person was actually banned. No one. I mean, kids can get on this app. You hand the phone to your child if they're, I don't know, 10, 11, whatever. And they're just scrolling through. They could come and see that. That is alarming to me. It isn't treated the same. And it's mind boggling to me. These people, they know what they're doing, right? You know what you're doing. And it's just crazy because like you said, unfortunately, it's like things have to happen on your doorstep before people actually care. The issue is these social media platforms have a responsibility to create a safe environment. And when you don't do that, you have an issue that people need to call out. And I know that there's been so many changes with TikTok and Twitter. We have to say enough is enough, right? Like you said, sometimes there's times where I've walked with my daughter and I've been called the N-word because people have recognized me from TikTok or wherever. And it's crazy. And it's like, we have to have these conversations. My daughter is three years old. So she's never really had to know this word. She's never really had to know, but she's going to have to know. She's going to have to be introduced to things. I'm not ready to introduce her to, but I have to. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sucks. What needs to change in America? Ugh. We just have to identify and really hold each other accountable, but really understand 
it's more than just saying people are created equally. It's living by that. Because I feel like so many good-hearted wannabe people say, treat everybody like they're your neighbor. Respect, But a lot of people don't respect their neighbors. A lot of people don't. And I don't think we actually live by the values we hold. America is a melting pot. So why is it so many people telling other people to go back to their country? We don't embrace this melting pot idea. We just say it. But we need to embrace it. We need to actually believe in the message and act out that message. Teaching correctly, teaching our kids critical race theory, that is going to engage. That is going to actually have a resolve that is going to change over generation and give our kids chances, give their kids chances. When my daughter gets married, she should not have to worry about who it is that she's marrying and being judged by who they marry. You know, if she decides to change her pronouns, it shouldn't matter. It should just be like, hey, those are your pronouns. I respect it. I'm going to call you by what you want. I know for a party in philosophy that tries to instill small government, the fact that they feel that they have a right to tell anyone how to feel about their identity or what they can do with their bodies is so hypocritical. Like the contradiction is just so unbelievable. But honestly, I really think it's because white people are terrified of the changing demographic. This is like their last grasp at their supremacy. Maybe we can just hold on to whatever power we have left. I totally agree. Totally agree. And it's wild because I feel like if this white fear, if this fear that these older generation of white people have, that this extinguished, like they're going to be extinguished. That's the fear. And if they don't hold on to it, having more white children, having, it's crazy to me, you know, and I've talked to people who changed their perspectives, who were very racist. And they're like, I grew up believing that black people were just lower. That's just what my parents told me. And that's what I expected. But it wasn't until I got to college and it wasn't until I expanded or met a girl or met a guy that I realized wasn't reality. Let's say someone's listening to this right now and they want to call people out on social media. How would you best advise them to do that? Have your facts and make sure that when you're calling someone out, you're doing it for the right reasons. A lot of times, social media, it, people want to go, just want to go viral, right? But my whole thing, yeah, it's performative. But know that whatever you say and you do, you have to stand in it. And I mean in it. So whether it comes off good or it comes off poorly, you have to be willing to take the good with the bad. Doing it for the right reasons will make sure that you're ready to take the good with the bad. And that's the most important thing. And what is your hope for 2023? Oh, my hope for 2023. You know, I just, how can I say this? I would love to see less Trump flag, but my real hope for 2023 is just for more of us to be understanding, more of us to continue to work towards a common goal. You know, when George Floyd, when that movement happened, when it changed, I saw so many people ready to see something new and ready to fight for something. I want to see that, but I don't want us to lose a life in order to do that. I want us to be able to ready to take on change without having to lose someone. And that's what I want to see. I want to see us changing. I want to see us growing. I want to see more love, more understanding, and more respect for everyone. Oh, I love you so much. Tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Absolutely. So I am on TikTok, on Instagram, sadly, Twitter, 
Aunt Karen Zero <laughs> is my user handle. So Aunt Karen Zero is the best way to uh, find me on social media. Well, Aunt Karen, you give me hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. I am so excited for our next guest. Ariel, a.k.a. Mrs. Frazzled, creates really hilarious and insightful skits about life as a teacher with her 1.1 million Twitter followers. She also confronts some of the challenging social issues teachers are facing in an increasingly divided country. I gotta say, my friend, I am really glad that we came out of the bunker today. Okay, that was really scary for me when I could not find where you went. You can't just leave the Oval Office and go there. Cool, okay, with a wet paper towel, but with milk. Got it? Friend, when we break into the Capitol building and commit acts of terrorism, we're going to get pepper sprayed at the very least. So we need to make sure this does not happen again, right? This does not feel good, huh? Why teaching is a political act and why it has nothing to do with political party. It also doesn't have anything to do with political issues that pertain to education, class size, funding, things like that. When we think about politics, we're thinking often about policies, power, privilege, who has the seat at the table to make the decisions and who just is affected by them. I'm Mrs. Frazzled and I talk to politicians like they're five-year-olds. Sorry, not sorry. Thank you so much for being here with me. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you came to be Mrs. Frazzled on TikTok. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Ariel. I go by Fraz, Mrs. Frazzled on the internet. And I originally got started as Mrs. Frazzled in 2020 when I was a kindergarten teacher. The pandemic sent us home and we were all teaching online. And I really quickly discovered that there was this community of educators on TikTok, which was so crazy. I had no idea that TikTok was for someone of my age. And how did you find like your niche? How did you figure out like this is what I'm going to talk to politicians like they're in kindergarten? 
you know, it was so funny because my, one of my teacher besties and I, we were always talking about how hilarious it would be if we talked to our husbands, like they were our students. <laughs> if we talked to our friends when they were drinking, like they were our students. And mm-hmm. it just really evolved where I started making videos like that, you know, with any funny situation I could come up with. And then it was shockingly easy to translate that. And really, it started with, if you remember the debate between Biden and Trump, it really lent itself to a lot of comedy. If I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. So I appreciate you making us laugh. Let's just touch on teaching for a moment. What is the most rewarding part for you about teaching? I love just being with my students. I think they teach us so much, especially at that age. They are so transparent and inquisitive and honest and just like they're little sponges. They want to learn and they're actually excited about learning. You could come into school and say, we're going to learn about subtraction today, friends. And they're like, woohoo, let's go. (laughs) And I (laughs) I think that kind of excitement and wonder just really fuels me. I love that. Well, teaching has become a lot more challenging over the past few years as we're witnessing far right extremists challenging curriculum, spreading lies about teachers and students and even taking over school boards, which I mean, I don't think we talk about all of this enough. How has that affected you personally? Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Personally, I have stayed home this year to raise my daughter. I have a six-month-old and I was going to go back, going to go back. And really the systemic disorganization of the school system led to them losing my maternity leave application. And I took it as a sign from the universe of, okay, you're already having all this anxiety about gun violence and curriculum and just the injustices and inequities that exist in the public school system. All that anxiety was already happening. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a beat. Teaching will always be there. But my mental health as a new mom is paramount right now. I know so many of you as students or parents or teachers share my concern about school safety because again and again we see inaction after these devastating school shootings. I usually feel really hopeless because when the worst happens there's just fighting in Washington and no push for common sense gun laws. So I wanted to share a little glimmer of hope of a bill that was passed this summer. You might have heard of this, but in order to take concrete action towards reducing gun violence, President Biden signed the first piece of bipartisan gun safety legislation introduced in 30 years. That's how it's manifested in my life. And it's been really enlightening to talk to teachers who have left for all different reasons because they're just are so many reasons right now that education is a stressful and sometimes scary place to be in our country. Yeah. And one of those reasons is basically the exploitation of teachers. Can we just touch a little bit about how you feel about teachers being exploited, the different ways they're exploited, what you think we can do about that? Yeah, I think Obviously, like right off the bat, one of the first things we can do is talk about it. I think that people are not talking about it. Why do you think that is? I think there's a culture around teachers in general of being a martyr. You, as a teacher, 
are expected to just be there for the kids. And we are, we absolutely are, but we're also humans. We're whole humans and we're navigating a lot of crap from the system. So teachers are being expected in Florida to turn in their lesson plans. They're expected to not talk about their family life. They're expected to out their students if they come into the knowledge that their students are LGBTQ+. It's a really scary place to be. And we feel very much like pawns in this system that we don't have control over. And something I say a lot is teaching is political. And I don't mean that in the sense of party system, but very much so in terms of what we're expected to endure and navigate, you know, just looking at the curriculum that is being voted on in school boards across the country, we are not getting a say. We're just expected to put up and shut up. It's, I can't even wrap my head around the fact that we are in a time where teaching accurate, factful history is something that is up for debate. Yes. And not only teaching history in an authentic way, is an issue for people, but also teaching social emotional learning, which I just cannot wrap my mind around why <laughs> talking about managing emotions and organizational skills and interpersonal skills, why that is such a threat. But then at the same time, I look at the fact that I make content talking to far right politicians, like they're five. And these politicians if they've had social emotional learning and they had been taught to manage their emotions from a young age, maybe we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in. I think they don't want us to teach children free thinking, how to think outside of the box, because as soon as someone understands what the word empathy means or understands what the plight of humanity is, which only comes from being someone that is in touch with their emotions, who can feel compassion, that's when those people, artists in particular, tend to challenge the status quo. And I think education right now has turned into a way to just extend the status quo. You've made some really funny videos about Trump and treating him like a kindergartner. And I can only imagine being someone who also gets a lot of shit anytime I mention Trump. How are those videos received? How do you take care of yourself when you're trolled? Tell me everything. Or do you think that the algorithm has pretty much just kept you in a safe space? I wish that the algorithm protected me more. Inevitably, you're going to end up on those for you pages of people that just they're there to say whatever they can at you. And it is, it's challenging. But I think one of the things that has really helped me navigate that is realizing that it's coming from a place of maybe misunderstanding, maybe anger, maybe fear. I think a lot of people fear what they do not know. And a lot of times what I ask is, what do you think is going on in these classrooms? Because you bring up the point of teaching empathy is somehow scary. And I think that we hear the word indoctrination thrown at us all the time. And it's like, I can't even, quote unquote, indoctrinate my students to write their name at the top of their <laughs> piece of paper. You think I'm in there like explicitly teaching political standpoints? No, absolutely not. But 
it's very eye-opening to address Trump like he's a five-year-old because it really makes people see things from a different perspective. And of course, his supporters are going to have things to say about that, but that's their prerogative. I just keep on going and I've gotten doxxed in the past. I've gotten death threats in the past. Wear it like a badge of pride. Yes, because it means that you're arousing something in these people. And I'm happy to do that. I think that it's thought provoking and I think it's silly, but also important. Thank you so much for doing it. I know that it could be hard and sometimes even scary. Tell my listeners where they can find you. You can find me on all platforms at Mrs. Frazzled, Mrs. Frazzled. And finally, what gives you hope? Oh, Other educators are giving me hope. Banding together and talking about our profession, the love that we have for it or the love that we had for it really bonds us together. Teachers really do get into the profession for the love of the students, for the love of teaching. And it's a passion. And I look forward to lawmakers, administrators getting on board and giving us more sustainable working conditions so that we can have the best happy, healthy teachers giving us the best happy, healthy kids in our classrooms. Arielle, you give me hope. Thank you. You give me hope. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the podcast, friend. Of course, friend. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And finally, we're speaking with Jeffrey Marsh. Jeffrey's TikToks and compassionate short-form videos have over 1 billion views. Jeffrey is a viral TikTok and Instagram star, non-binary activist, and LGBTQ plus keynote speaker. Their number one bestseller, How to Be You, was the first non-binary memoir, which also topped Oprah's gratitude meter and was named Excellent Book of the Year by Ted E.D. I love you. And here's a reminder, you're not hacking your way through your childhood trauma all by yourself. I know a secret about you. You are not a burden. Thank you for loving a big queer beau like me. Um, it's so easy to feel like a burden. That's the constant childhood programming. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Marsh, and I'm a non-binary activist and an internet coach. I'm also a walking metaphor. If I can learn to love the thing I was told is most disgusting about me, my queerness, you can do the same. And if you're an activist, you must learn. 
to love yourself. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, I want to talk about your book. I want to talk about your very meaningful social media presence. But first, I want you to tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and just how you came to be you. What a lovely first question. I was always told that who I am is wrong. There's something wrong with you. That was the defining message of my childhood, which I talk about a lot on social media. It's something I used to keep hidden, secret, all to myself. But once I started sharing, I found that there are a lot of people like me out there. I took the outside voices I was getting as a kid. There's something wrong with you. You're too much. You're too queer. You're too rainbow. You're too, too, too. And I made those inside voices. I started to police myself. I started to be as cruel and even crueler to myself as the adults and other kids were when I was a fabulous little kid. And things got so bad at a certain point that I moved to a Buddhist monastery and went on a journey to learn that the thing I was told is most horrible about me is my best gift to the world. So I just walk around doing that. Isn't it the best? I mean, yes. And I think it's interesting because what you've done with your platform and your social media and your life and your personal life, which of course always comes first or came first, what you just described to me was you were not accepted. You heard a lot of outside voices, which you internalized that became the inside voices. And what you were able to do was then almost deconstruct those and make them outside voices again so that other people could recognize their inside voices. And so much about what you do is about not only ending some kind of narrative that allows for people to hate by humanizing the things that we're most afraid of, but also your content is aimed at ending self-hate. And I think that is a message that everyone can relate to, no matter who they are, and no matter what obstacles they've had to overcome. And I think it's natural that people have a hard time looking at themselves with love. Why is that? Because they weren't taught it. Sorry, I should be specific. They weren't re-taught that. When anybody is two years old, they're running around, having fun, dancing, being themselves. And that gets trained out of most of us, almost all of us. It is exceedingly rare that I work with, meet anyone who was not told there is something wrong with you in one way or another. And this is why I love talking to you. You talk about these things too, but you picked up on something that I rarely get to mention. And that's, there's a lot of queerphobia, transphobia on the internet, obviously. People have the biggest problem with the fact that I love myself and I love them. Yeah, that makes people super uncomfortable. That sends people way over the edge, way into another dimension. And actually, the TikToks that I've made that have been picked up by the very far right, the one that was on T-U-C-K-E-R's show on Fox, those were all very loving videos. And they picked up on the love in them. And that's what 
was so deeply disturbing to them. Not necessarily the queerness. Do you know what I mean? I do. I know exactly what you mean. And I feel like just to relate to how I feel about my platform, just so that I can empathize with you, I feel that there is also a lot of misogyny and sexism on social media. And I feel that the trolls have a hard time with me because their attacks against me do not are not able to pierce the love that I have for humanity, no matter what ugliness they show me, and the love that I have for myself that, by the way, I had to fight really hard for in therapy and self-reflection and heartache and trauma. And I just want to say, like, first of all, I don't know how you do it every day. I saw one of your TikToks the other day where you were talking about how you don't want to be inspiring anymore. Because so many people say to you, you're so inspiring and you don't want to be inspiring anymore. You want to be accepted and loved for who you are and have that be a reflection of someone else's love for who they are. First of all, why don't you want to be inspiring anymore? There are a couple of reasons. Trans people always get told that. You're so inspiring. And we're told that because we've had, a lot of us have had crappy lives. We have lived through the worst kind of stuff. And we barely survive. We come out the other end and we choose ourselves. And that's an inspiration. I want to go all the way back to the beginning and make life better for all people, especially trans folks. So we don't have to go through that mill and end up being inspiring. That's why I made that video in the first place. But the other thing you're picking up on is, I want compatriots. If people are inspired by me, that's like they're looking to me to do a lot of the work. And I always want to be doing work with people who are working themselves. I want all of us to be inspirations or all of us to not be inspirations, but I want us all to be equal. How do you get people to do the work themselves? I would say, I'm not sure you can do it unless you're inspiring. Shoot. I think maybe you caught me. Do you know what I mean, though? It's like, I totally get it. And you have been a groundbreaker for so long. You know, while I was doing research, you first appeared on TV in 2016, which feels like a million years. But there weren't a lot of non-binary people who were coming out and saying, this is who I am. And you may fear me, but it doesn't change how I feel about myself. Do you think that the world has changed? I assume it has. In some ways, it's gotten worse. Let's face it. That's why the work that both of us do is so important. And you also said something completely brilliant that shouldn't go un-underlined. This also has a lot to do with misogyny. So people look at a non-binary person like me, I was designated male at birth, and they think that I am quote-unquote lowering myself and quote-unquote acting like a woman. And those things aren't true at all. There's this mentality that there's a hierarchy, that men are the best, women are the worst, LGBTQ people are somewhere else. So you think that people are saying, wow, you had it all, you were a white man. Oh, I think some people think that way. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. And they need to police me to be in my spot so that they can keep theirs. That just made me look at things in a very different way. Say more. I'm just thinking about, so you 
are who you are. You learn through self-realization and acceptance that you are not going to conform to anybody's idea of who and what you are, which is someone who identifies as non-binary. You say, here I am. You think that there is some subconscious or conscious hate that you receive from white dudes saying it's like a reflection of them realizing that someone would not appreciate being just a white dude? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know this feeling. Um, I am incredibly powerful. I could put on a dress and walk into a room of white dudes and they all go immediately on edge. They all get extremely uncomfortable right away. Why do you think that is? Why are they on edge? I think that you are like a prism, but a prism in that like, I think people would be drawn to you when you enter a room regardless. They can be. I think throughout the average man's childhood, he's been taught to not be feminine, period. Under penalty of you'll lose everything. Your dad's love, your family, the food, the roof over your head. And so they see me living happily, easily, as a prism, but certainly comfortable being absolutely feminine. And it is a four-alarm fire. It is red alert time. They need to do something about it so that the way they see the world can be maintained. I'm raising a girl and a boy, and they... They do this beautiful thing in school where they sit and the principal is gay and they sit and he comes out to the kids and opens up the opportunity for people to come out as trans or bisexual. I mean, it's very progressive. My son is in fifth grade and he came home and he said, Mom, my best girlfriend is bisexual. I had no idea. And I'm so glad that I know that and that I can support that. And it's so incredibly beautiful, right? And so we have obviously tried to nurture a sensitivity in him, not because just because we feel like it will encourage him to be the best version of himself. But I have to tell you, it's scary because Not a lot of families are doing that. And when I look at things that he excels at, like sports, and I see how he reacts and how hard he takes certain challenges because of this sensitivity that we have encouraged in him, I'm terrified that will be looked at as something that is going against him in sports rather than something That is recognition of that's just, that's what makes him. I can see a coach saying he's soft. And so I'm constantly battling this voice inside my head that is telling me as a mother to tell him to toughen up because that's what society and the things that he's chosen to love, like sports, expects from him. Do you have any advice for parents who are trying to raise a child to be, let's just say, feminine in their ability to feel and emote and to play against the typical, not only the toxic masculinity, because that's alive and well, but the typical masculinity? How do I balance it? How do I find that balance with Milo? I want to take a step back 
and ask you if that voice in your head is also telling you that you're a bad parent. You're going to do this wrong. Things like that. Of course. I mean, I think every parent thinks that they go to bed at night wondering how they fucked up their kid that day. To me, that's the larger issue. You'll be able to sort out over time how to be most compassionate to your child and yourself. And a voice in your head telling you, you're going to screw it up. You better do it right. Is not enhancing the situation one tiny bit. Period. Right. And not preparing him any better for what I think a coach is looking for in an athlete. Sure. I mean, who knows what the coach is looking for? You have some dreams for him yourself, correct? Of course. But my dream for him is that he has fulfillment in the things that he loves. Yeah. And that includes some softness, does it not? Oh, for sure. You make me think, again, of folks on the far right. I personally constantly get accused. I'm here to ruin gender. I'm destroying the American family. I'm destroying America. I'm doing a lot of things. Hi, kids. Gender is a system of oppression. Did you ever wonder why adults get so upset if you're a boy who likes girl things? Is it curious to you why all those grown-ups get so angry if you're a girl who wants to play football, if you're a girl who wants to do something only boys are supposed to do? Gender is a construct. And do you feel lonely? It's okay. Um, ironically, you're not alone in feeling lonely. It's a natural human thing that happens, but I want to point out that there's the loneliness, natural human emotion, and then there's the gunk. You shouldn't feel that way. You should be over this by now. It's all your fault. I mean, if you would just call a friend, I mean, if you would just do something about it. I wouldn't want to do anything with the loneliness to fix it or change it. But I sure would want to do something with those voices and this. Trans people are less than 2% of the population. We are not erasing women. We are not destroying gender. We're not destroying the family. We're not dangerous. Um, respect for other people's humanity and dignity is not a destructive force. It's a creative, lovely, beautiful force. You get all this stuff too. But it, as far as I can see, masculinity is enhanced by softness. It becomes better. It's a fuller spectrum. Femininity is enhanced by some masculine traits. It becomes better. And to me, the ability to truly be yourself includes finding out what the heck that is. So you're going to need a room to play. I would just caution you not to go try to do whatever this mythical coach wants you to do, because <laughs> who knows what they want. It's just, you know, I will never forget there was a moment, and actually it was right after Me Too, that after Me Too went viral, obviously not after Tirana started the movement in 2006, but after it went viral, where I was at a soccer game and there was a dad next to me and he yelled at his son, 
Oh, come on. What are you going to do next? Hit him with your purse? And Bella was next to me. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to either really just suppress what I'm feeling right now, or I'm going to walk up to this man and I'm going to tell him how I feel. What do you think I did? I walked up to him and told him how I felt. And I said, I wouldn't be a, an activist or a feminist if I didn't come over and just say to you that what you just yelled out to your child was so sexist and misogynistic. And the message you're sending to these boys, as well as the fathers, as well as the mothers, as well as the sisters, is something that I can't not tell you is really harmful. And if you were yelling out something racist, I would like to think that there would be people that would call you on your racism. So I'm going to call you on your sexism. He was shocked. He was shocked. He was shocked. And I'm never going to forget it because for me, it was just like a how many times, how many games, how many dads, how many players, how many sisters. How many mothers hear this multiple times in different ways every single day? And if we don't call people on it, it's never going to change. And I think, I don't think people say, I'm going to bring this back around to your internal voice versus your external voice. Because I don't think people tell you're inspiring because of your groundbreaking activism as a trans non-binary person. I think you're just fucking inspiring. Oh, shoot. Okay, I'll own it. Own it. Can you accept that? Yes. Is it hard for you to accept that? I always find my best role is to keep the focus on all of us rising together. So yeah, it gets a little tricky for me. But yes, I accept that. As long as you will accept that you recognize it in me because you are it too. And I hope that's the experience everyone has. Or strive to be. I'm going to end this interview the way, and by the way, I'd love to have you come on for an entire hour because I think that these conversations are so important. But in being someone who uses social media as a platform to reach people, to get them to reflect upon their own being, their own reality, their own truth, their own maybe self-hate, maybe self-love, and to be faced with the amount of trolling as you are, much like I am, it can feel daunting and dark. What gives you hope? People like you. You know, Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. The helpers really give me hope. And there are plenty of them. The midterms were great. We love to see it. A lot of good activism was done. And there is so much more to do. Do you know why you're such an excellent person? Shall I tell you? You outlined what true allyship is. People get hung up on this all the time. The period in human history where folks are afraid of saying the wrong thing, so they stay silent, that's over. We're done. And I'm going to lay it down here on the record. You don't have to have the labels perfect. You don't have to know the difference between genderqueer, gender fluid. You don't have to be like 401 level allyship. At first, you, don't, you can trip up on the pronouns. Who cares? You must speak up. Because what you do know is how to treat other human beings with dignity. 
And that's what you talk to that person about. I think that there is no perfect ally. And I think that the idea of a perfect ally has been constructed by people who don't want there to be allies, who want to maintain a certain status quo in their supremacy. And I've fucked up. I'll do it again. I'm sure I will continue to always do it. But to be able to say that, to be able to reflect, make things better, to be able to, you know, self-criticism, I think, is just as important as self-reflection. As long as you could come to a place where you appreciate the process of how you're growing and evolving and what you can do to continue on that evolution. You give me hope, Jeffrey. I love you so much. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. It's my great honor. Thank you so much. May this year bring peace, prosperity, and justice for each of you. I love you all. Keep fighting. Happy New Year. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Sorry.